Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newspapers. Uh, <laughs> I said newspapers. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is uh, associated with the newspaper business, and I guess that's the reason I made that mistake. It's David Warnoff, and he's the publisher of a very successful twice-weekly newspaper, uh, as well as some statewide magazines that we've talked about. But he also is the nephew of perhaps one of the most famous of all journalists in North Carolina history, and that would be Frank Daniels Jr. He was a very colorful person, outstanding newspaper man, and uh, uh, I'm sure you could tell us some great Frank Daniels, uh, Frank Daniels stories, and I would like to have one or two. Oh, well, I, I, how much time you got? I could give you a few <laughs> of them, and, I, and I'm happy to. Um, well, first, let me explain that. So my mother lives in Raleigh. Uh, her name is Patsy Daniels, and he is, she is Frank's younger sister and only sibling. So that's why. So it's through, I'm related to Frank through my mother, which is why I have a unusual last name. Uh, Frank has been a, a, or was a fixture in my life for, for uh, up until a little over a year ago. Um, and miss him very much. Um, he, he taught me a, a lot about life and a, and a lot about the newspaper business. Uh, I, I thought I'd share with your listeners, maybe my, my favorite story about Frank. Uh, I've got two of them, I can tell you. Um, one of them was early in my career here in Pinehurst. Um, so this was in the late, mid to late 90s, in the run up to the 1999 U.S. Open. Um, the village of Pinehurst and the Pinehurst Resort got into a, a tussle over who owned the name Pinehurst. And the resort maintained that, you know, so the, the the municipality of Pinehurst didn't exist until 1980, a hundred years after Pinehurst, the resort was created. So they, the resort said, we own the name and we're going to control who can use it. And so they started going to businesses in town that used the name Pinehurst in their name and threatened them with financial ruin if they didn't change their name. So we took umbrage with that and uh, wrote a, a pretty feisty editorial about it. And then we, the editor wrote a column about it. And we had two letters to the editor about, you know, all castigating the, uh, the resort for their ill-advised decision. And uh, so the entire editorial page was all about, and we had a cartoon depicting them in a, in a harsh light. Uh, so the entire editorial page was all about Pinehurst Resort. Uh, so end of the day rolled around and the, the uh, CEO of the, of the resort called up and, and, you know, I answered the phone. And he didn't say, hello, this is such and such. He just started cussing me out. I mean, just really just one four-letter word after the other. And, um, and he ended his, and, you know, it's like anytime you have a, you know, an irate caller, you, you, you don't interrupt them, you just let them go. And so he, he ended his tirade by saying, you know, you're from a pretty famous publishing family, and you know what, you're nothing but a disgrace to your family today. And so I thought, oh, boy, uh, I better not, I'm not going to take that. 
So I told him, I said, I tell you what, if you thought today was bad, you wait till we get finished with you on Thursday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hung up the phone. And uh, I thought, I better call Frank up and uh, warn him because the guy was so mad, I thought he'd probably call Frank. Uh, I just wanted to give him a heads up that he, he's going to get an angry phone call. And so I recounted what happened. And and Frank told me this was such a great, you know, he could tell I was a little rattled. And he uh, he said, well, David, you know what? And, and you know, this is the largest company, largest business in our town. And he said, and they're our largest advertiser, I might add. Uh, and he said, well, David, you know what? You'll never go wrong punching the biggest bully in town in the nose. But you will always be wrong if you fail to offer the weakest person in town a hand up. So, so I calmed down a little bit. And then he said, in his classic Frank Jr. way, <clears throat> he looked at and he said, and besides, the jury's still out on whether or not you're a disgrace or not. <laughs> and with that, you know, that was that was Frank. He, he you know, a little bit of humor and a lot of humility and uh, just sort of and, and you know, the guy never called Frank and he called me back the next day and apologized. And we we're great friends ever since, by the way. So it ended with a happy note. Um, that was my favorite Frank story. Before you get I, I want the second story also. But before you get to that, I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, Early on in my broadcast career here in Raleigh, uh, Frank said to me, he said, uh, Don, you know, for a radio guy, you're not all bad. <laughs> That's right. Yep. yep. Uh, and, of course, he used a couple of other words along the way. But uh, <laughs> but he was a wonder, and he was a friend. Uh, you know, I, I told Frank one time, I said, I don't ever – uh, I don't always agree with you, but I always know that you are speaking from the heart and from your, uh, your from your own conscience on every decision you make, and it's not motivated by money. And I admire that greatly. So, did you have a second story on Frank Frank Daniels Jr.? Well, I yeah, what well, it was a nice little piece of business advice that your your listeners may appreciate. I was fortunate enough to get it um, my first week on the job. I was my late 20s, when uh, uh, the opportunity to, to acquire the pilot came up and uh, we had, I guess I was 30 uh, when that happened. Um, and we bought the pilot uh, in a competitive bid. So the one of the other, so the other bidders only knew well, Frank Daniels Jr. bought it. They didn't know that there were other guys and that I was going to be the publisher. So one of the other bidder wrote a very impassioned five-page letter to Frank on why he should be the next publisher of the pilot. And, and it was really an awesome letter. I read it every so often just to remind myself that there are a lot of people who can do my job better than me and that it you know, kind of keep me on my game. And uh, the, the, by any measure, this guy was more qualified to be the publisher of the pilot than me. He was a he he was a Ivy League educated uh, uh, undergrad, you know, graduated Phi Beta Kappa. Then he was a state government reporter for the Charlotte Observer. Then he was a state government editor for the Charlotte Observer. Then he went to went back to the uh, uh, went back to the Ivy League and got a law degree. So he became a First Amendment attorney for the Charlotte Observer. And a really impressive guy. And. Uh, he uh, so Frank Jr. gets the letter and he writes at the top, as is his practice. David might make a good editor, 
give him a call. And and so yeah, I'm 30 years old. This guy's probably 20 years older than me, and really, really impressive. And so I called Frank up. Frank, yeah, this guy clearly wants to be the publisher of the paper, not the editor. Uh, and I'm afraid if I hire this guy, he's going to be gunning to be the publisher of the pilot the minute he walks in the door. Which so as soon as I said that, I knew I'd made a mistake. And Frank Jr. wasted no time in reminding me of that. And he roared into the phone with a string of expletives. You know, you blah, 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 all the way down the line. Uh, and he said, uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. He's like, if you have to be the smartest guy in the newspaper, we're going to fail because you're not that smart, one. And two, we will only be as good as you. And I would say to your listeners, um, if in your organization, the CEO has to be the, the most intelligent person, then you can only be as good as that person. And, and that is not the, the better organizations are the ones that have a lot of talent up and down the organizational chart. And, and the CEO is confident enough to allow them uh, to show their talents. So Frank, after barking at me, uh, he could tell I was rattled and he, uh, and, and he finally said, he softened his tone and he said, David, um, if you're so, so insecure in your position as the second largest shareholder in this company, that you can't hire somebody better than you, because first rate managers hire people better than themselves and they're not afraid to do it. If you, you're not the guy I thought you were. So, which is, that was pretty tough love on my first day. And that became our rule that everybody we hired had to be better than me. And which admittedly, Don, as you know, is a low bar, but uh, <laughs> it, it's what's helped us uh, grow as an organization because we, I learned that lesson on my first day on the job. Well, that was an important lesson. And, and, and Frank did this daily in his uh, coverage of news, especially on the editorial page. Uh, he gave out a lot of good advice. And as I said, I didn't always agree with it, but uh, I always knew it was well-meaning. And he was, uh, Frank Daniels Jr., quite an important part of the growth of the, the Triangle and North Carolina in general. And, of course, he also had a role in education as a member of the Board of, Trust, uh, of, the Board of Governors at, of the University of North Carolina as well. Just an outstanding person, and I miss him and his advice and his counsel every day. Speaking of that, uh, what do you think Frank would say uh, if he were uh, 50 years old about the future of, of the print business, especially daily newspapers? What would he say? Oh, well, you know, it's funny. We've had, I can tell because I had this conversation with him before he died. Um, and we were, I could tell he would buy, he would have done everything he could to acquire the Raleigh newspaper again. Buy it back from McClatchy and buy the Shaw Observer along with it. He was very bullish on the industry. And if he, he just thought he was too old. But if he were 50 years old today, he would do it. Uh, yeah. And he, I just love the idea that he, he would uh, buy it back at a much cheaper price than he sold it for. Um, pennies on the dollar. So, 
yes, he would be very bullish on the future of the uh, particularly papers like Raleigh and Charlotte, which are in growing, vibrant communities. And, uh, you know, the NNO, they, they still have 50 reporters in, in Raleigh. I mean, that is a they're, they're not to be trifled with. They are still a a solid news organization. Uh, so Raleigh is fortunate to have something like that because a lot of communities don't. Well, you know, one of the problems of, of being in uh, Raleigh is do you serve Wake County or do you serve the area? Because the interest uh, and the uh, coverage has to be uh, focused on one or the other because it's very difficult to serve two masters. Uh, yeah, I would think their primary focus would be on Wake County and then secondarily Durham and, and Orange. But I, I, I am very fond of the editor of the NNO. In fact, I was in a meeting with him this morning. Um, Bill Church is a great guy and a, and a fine newspaper man and a fine editor. Um, but I'm loath to tell him how to how to tell his community stories. Um, so I would, but I, I would say he would be a, um, you know, Raleigh's lucky to have a guy like Bill running the internet. Well, it is a it, it's, it's an interesting business, and uh, I would have to agree with Frank. I think there's a role for the daily newspaper, but I somehow or another it, it's going to have to be reinvented to make it relevant, as you said on a local individual basis to the citizens of the local town. That's, that's just absolutely key. That's what you're doing in Southern Pines with the pilot. And uh, uh, it's uh, the bigger the city, the harder it is to do that, or the bigger the area, the harder it is to do that. Um, but uh, I think there's still a great, great opportunity there. Our guest is David Warnoff. He's, uh, as we said, uh, publisher of not only a twice daily very successful local newspaper, but also a series of magazines. And we want to talk about the state of journalism. We want to talk about fake news and things of this nature. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? babies made what does this thing do kids are curious about everything including guns talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step but you can do more always keep your guns locked unloaded and stored separately from ammunition storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire including unintentional shootings for more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe visit endfamilyfire.org that's endfamilyfire.org what do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week. I think we've had a wonderful uh, and very varied program, a little different from our normal programs. Our guest is David Warnoff, and as we said, he is uh, the publisher of a very successful twice-daily newspaper in a relatively small market, Pinehurst, Southern Pines, and Aberdeen, but also a series of magazines, including Business North Carolina, a statewide business magazine, which focuses on North Carolina's thriving business economy. David, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the whole area of how people get their news these days. Uh, we talked earlier about the fact that the daily newspaper uh, is uh, has lost a lot of ground, a lot of relevance in today's uh, circulation of news. Um, and then we have things like uh, the Internet that uh, provide people with the opportunity to say about whatever they want to, when they want to, and we have this new term called fake news that's around. What is your overall view of how people get their news and how can they depend on what sources that they do go to? Well, that therein is the, the problem, Don, is that if you, you've got to have trust in the outlet that you're, you're consuming the news from. So I, I would tell you, first of all, you almost need like, I feel like we almost need like a, nutrition label on news <laughs> sort of like you have on food you know who owns the outlet where where is it headquartered what wh- how is it that you've got to be able to trust them and if if you're you're so much um by uh, the so much what passes for journalism certainly at a national level um and and you see more and more of it at the state level here is is the you know, bias is baked into the um to the journalism now you could some some folks would say that's been going on for forever um i would submit to you that that's a relatively recent uh incarnation that for the most part most newspapers over the you know for the span of their you know couple hundred years uh, have been, you know, for the, or the most recently have been, um, objective sources of news. Uh, and then in, I say within the last five years, you know, opinion seems to be creeping onto the front page of news outlets, which erodes the community's trust in that, those outlets. And you can see that on, uh, you know, on television in particular, or you can see it in print, you know, the New York Times versus the Wall Street Journal or CNN versus Fox. And, you know, you, it, you know, what I find how that affects me here is if we write something that challenges a reader's worldview, uh, then it's considered bias. Uh, whereas if we write something that confirms their worldview, then it's, it is pure as a driven snow journalism. And usually what I get, I get a call from a reader. They'll say that editorial was the most biased editorial I've ever read in my life. And I'm usually sort of tongue in cheek, trying to lighten the mood. I say, well, you know, those, those biased editorials are the best ones. And <laughs> yeah, because it's, it is, you know, it's an editorial is a, a piece of opinion. Yeah. Uh, it's when, when, when they say the front page news story is biased that, that then we have a problem. No. Uh, and I think so 
so I guess your question is sort of fake news. Uh, that's a coined by a politician who's just trying to deflect, you know, somewhat unflattering news coverage is what I think that's become. Well, you know, we picked on the print business, but the major networks, of course, had uh, dominance of uh, attention in the 80s and the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s. CBS Evening News, NBC Evening News, ABC Evening News, far many more listeners, far more important than today. It was the the expansion into the cable that allowed so many more news outlets. And the problem with those news outlets uh, like CNN and and uh, uh, Fox and uh, CSNBC is they have so much time to fill. I mean, it is incredible. And so they probably overcover almost every story looking for teeny tiny details that may not be as important as they, as they make them be. I think you're right. Uh, you know, and rather than just be concise and just cover the news, they, they have to embellish. Uh, and, and that, I think, is what leads to mistrust. Well, um, you, we were talking about your uncle, uh, Frank Daniels Jr., uh, uh, I know about five years ago, he said, you know, you do a really good job on the news on WPTF. And I said, you know, Frank, it's right easy to be uh, without bias when you're writing a five, uh, a three to five sentence news story. <laughs> the longer the story, the more opportunity there is for bias to slip in. Exactly. And so radio news is easy to uh, uh, in most cases, radio news comes out pretty good as far as being unbiased, but it's pretty easy when the story is that short. Yeah, well, so we we spend a lot of time here uh, in the pilot. You know, I, I usually hear from, you know, and boy, you know, in a local newspaper, you know, there's there's no more of a flashpoint than covering the Board of Education. And I, I'll hear from the school board folks who would who are cussing mad at me, they'll say, well, you know, you got it right on the news side, but that editorial was terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, and which I take as music to my ears that, you know, we, we got it right. And I, I would love to see news organizations just devote themselves to the, um, the concept of objectivity and a lot of newsroom, a lot of journalism circles that is, um, but you, 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 it's a flashpoint with journalists because a lot of them, they they feel like they should be uh, writer of wrongs and and they want to um, they want to be able to espouse their point of view in their news stories and so every time we hire a reporter, I tell them if they want to be an opinion writer, uh, you know, we'll be happy to talk to them about writing something you know writing a column on the editorial page, but they will not be a reporter for us. Their jobs to chronicle the news events that they observe uh, without fear and without favor. And so we, I feel like if we can do that, that we will win and earn our community's trust. Where does the smartphone fit into all this? Because more and more people are getting their news off their smartphone. Uh, I think the dynamics are the same is that you've got to be able to trust the source of the information. So if, uh, you know, it gets challenging, particularly for local news outlets like ours, uh, to, to have the technical know-how to, to deliver uh, and the ability to deliver the information uh, digitally is getting harder and harder to do. You know, in some ways it's getting easier, but in other ways it's getting harder and more complex. 
Um, so the the better we get at delivering news digitally, the the less lucrative it is. What so is that danger? That's sort of a challenge. What's the danger in overcovering a story? Well, I I think it. Well, it just depends on you. Don't want to make you know the proverbial mountain out of a molehill. I think you gotta you know your coverage needs to reflect the relative importance of it. So for us, when the U.S. Open comes to town next summer, that's a you know when the history of our community is written, that's going to be a, a chapter in our history. So our coverage of it has to reflect that. So we put out a pop-up daily newspaper just about the U.S. Open every day for eight days. But a school board member pops off at a at a constituent in a school board meeting. Yeah, that, that's a, a one story, one day kind of deal. Pop up news uh, newspapers. That's an interesting term. In other words, when you have a big story, you could have a pop up or a special edition, I guess is, is yes. would be the term that old people would use. I had never thought about that. That's a, uh, and that would receive much wider circulation. Uh, yes, yeah, so you, and you're not to date you too much, but I would imagine that with you at your day, they might have called it an extra. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know ever the newsboys would say extra, extra, read all about it. Well, it would be yeah. like that. In fact, we had kids from the Boys and Girls Club dressed up as newsboys uh, with their suspenders and a chapeau and shorts on and running around town with their, their uh, red wagons. Handing papers out during the U.S. Open. Do you see that as a possibility for larger markets? Uh, that 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 might be a you know the, the larger markets are just um, larger, <laughs> just a different. Uh, you know, there, there's so much bigger. There's so much more wealth there, but there there's just also so much more competition. And and a, a tendency towards being in a small town, so the dynamics just work in our favor to do stuff like that. Uh, I think it's a little trickier in a big city. Are you worried about so much more spread out? Are you worried about artificial intelligence? Uh, I, I probably should be, Don, but I have not given that a whole lot of thought. Um, so. Uh, but it's a big topic in uh, journalism circles. There's a line in the motion picture Inherit the Wind where William Jennings Bryan essentially says, I don't think about things I don't want to think about. And artificial <laughs> intelligence is one of those. I think all of us are very concerned about it, but we don't know enough about it to express a real opinion. But it has possibilities of being very, very dangerous. Yeah, I, I always, when I think about Arnold, I think of the Terminator. <laughs> Maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger had it right. Yes. Uh, with the, the, I, I haven't, I, I don't know. You're right. I don't, I don't understand it. I tend to have faith in our, our, our community that folks will, they want to know that the person is writing that story and who that person is. And they want to be able to see that person. And, and I think we all have our own style that I think is somewhat recognizable by our readers. So I think we're a little bit immune to that, but I don't want to, but not very. Well, uh, as I said earlier, 
you are forecasting a rather bright future or a continued bright future for magazines. And, and I, I agree with you in that also. I think there's a place for print. Magazines seem to be doing quite well. Well, I, I think you're right. The, uh, the, the frequency, the monthly frequency works, uh, works a little more, a little better than the, you know, certainly than daily or twice weekly. And I suspect you'll see a decrease in the frequency of print going forward. David, but you, it won't go away. David, you've left me with a great uh, timing situation. You've left me with just enough time to thank you, David Warnoff, uh, newspaper publisher, magazine publisher. Thank you for your insights. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He promises me that he'll have another interesting guest again next week. So you, we hope that you'll join us then. Until next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.